Okay, welcome to Developers Eating the World. And this is a really fun episode. Um, I am on the committee chairing and producing DevSecOps Days Rockies. So it's a virtual event focused on DevSecOps. And I was fortunate to get one of our early speakers uh, approved and I get to talk to her about her session today. So if you're listening to this before October 29th, uh, please register, join us. It's virtual, it's free. We're gonna have a lot of great practitioner level talks. Uh, and we have a lot of great speakers. If you're watching the video, you can scan the QR code and it'll get you to link to register. Otherwise, you can visit bit.ly slash dsodemv, bit.ly slash dsodemv, or just Google DevSecOps Days Rockies or Denver, you will find it there. Okay, good. That's the, that's the pitch. Please, please, please attend. My guest today is Malicia McGregor, and she's going to talk to us about her session, um, which I'm super excited about. So, Malicia, why don't you introduce yourself and, and just give us kind of the punchline of what you plan on talking about? Okay. So, like Chris said, my name is Malicia McGregor, and right now I'm a developer advocate at Conducto. So, my talk session is about how to add security into your CI/CD pipelines. And basically what that is, is just adding a bunch of automated tools to do some really, really mean testing on your code and all of your different environments. Yeah, great. And I'm actually, you know, I've been really kind of since the early days of DevOps, I've been obsessed with this idea that your delivery chain is much as much a product as the code that it delivers. And so I look forward to digging into that. But before we go there, get a little personal. <laughs> Not that personal, <laughs> I promise. <laughs> um, just tell me a little bit about your career and how you got into tech. Because before your previous role, you were a developer, right? Right. So I guess I have the same non-traditional path that most people do. I actually started as a mechanical and aerospace engineer working in robotics. So kind of what happened there was just different job opportunities in my hometown weren't quite what I expected in the engineering world. And I wasn't quite willing to move to one of the coasts. So I took the software skills that I have from robotics and decided to make WordPress apps for a while. And from there, I learned some PHP and, you know, just the basic web dev stack. And then I got deeper in the JavaScript. And next thing you knew, I was an actual web developer. So first, where where are you located where those those jobs weren't weren't meeting the mark? <laughs> so I was I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and it's just a little different and engineering on the coast areas with their fancy robots. Yeah, unfortunately, yes, but I feel like it's changing. <laughs> now, it I'll, I'll tell you that application development is a badass career. I, I won't deny that for a second. But robotics, that's kind of, that's, <laughs> that's up there. And, and I struggle with hardware. So I've never been really a hardware person. Mm -hmm. uh, I've always been a software person. But yeah. how do you think that, your skills in robotics 
translated because that, you kind of went to the other extreme, which is front end. How did that, how did that translate as you started to learn how to code? Honestly, learning how to code taught me that software is kind of like art. There aren't really any rules. You just kind of go with it and you roll with the quirks until something works and you can explain why it works. But with robotics and hardware, there's more of a procedural process because, well, you you can't break the $1,000 robot. We don't have that many of those. (laughs) So I kind of took that procedural process and applied it to the front end and back end of web development. Yeah, code. the benefit of code is it's disposable. Like you can always write new code. Mm -hmm. Um, You could 3D print robot parts maybe, but that takes a long time. (laughs) It's a a lot more effort. So yeah, that's, that's a valid point. So in the DevOps industry, CICD is often associated with assembly lines. And being in robotics, you kind of are in tune with the physical world of assembly lines. Do you feel like that analogy accurately applies? I've never heard that analogy, but I'm really glad that I have now. That's exactly what DevOps is like. You have different basically conveyor belts and some of them branch off into other ones and there's other little robots and machines doing tasks on a certain piece that's on that assembly line that is basically devops you have an artifact that's going through this pipeline and different stuff is poking and prodding at it to make sure it's good to go yeah and i've always been mostly mostly accepted the analogy there seems to be some quirks to it, especially once you start into getting into the world of microservices, because it's not it's not linear <laughs> at all. Where an assembly line is, it's more like multiple assembly lines working consistently together. But it but it but it is a good way to kind of visualize stuff, which is meaningful for for the market. Tell me then. What are the risks associated in terms of security vulnerabilities for the pipeline itself, that that assembly line? So the main thing is that you don't want people to actually be able to get access to your pipeline, whether that's some old employee who still has permissions for some reason, or that's somebody who has been trying to use phishing emails to get credentials from employees. It's just kind of a vulnerability in the way that it holds your entire process for your application. So if somebody gets that, they basically own your company. Like they have everything that you push to production for your customers. And once they have that, they they have you. Like there's not much else you can hide, especially if your environment variables are in the YAML or you have different like services you're running, maybe on staging that for some reason have production data. It's, it's all kinds of little weird things that we don't really think about that an attacker could use from a pipeline to really do some damage or get some information that they're looking for. And the part that you just said, we don't think about it. That's the part that 
I've never understood. Like, why? We, we think about it in so many other areas. Why don't you think people think about the security of their pipeline as well? Um, honestly, I think it's kind of like with documentation. It's something that we do think about. We talk about it and we make these cool plans. But when it's time to get stuff to production, it's like, oh, yeah, we don't have time for that. So let's just get it out there. And that's usually how it just kind of falls to the side. It gets pushed down on the priority list until it's just somewhere in an icebox or forever backlog. So in the early days of DevOps, it was even worse. But I feel like we have this new wave of evolution where DevOps itself is largely, the concept has become boring. And we're now thinking about what is mature DevOps? What is DevOps that can scale for a longer period of time? And the current state of the market and world and everything else under the sun, or if you're in the Bay Area, no sun because of smoke. And in Colorado, no sun because of snow after a hundred degree day of weather. It used to always be focused on velocity. Like that was the only thing anybody said, faster, 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 faster. And now, and now I feel like that that is changing and, and that's a good change. The tooling also is mostly focused on velocity. The tooling is also mostly focused on, you know, getting your code out and doing cool things with your application. Where does the tooling fit when it comes to the vulnerabilities and the security of your delivery chain? Most of them go in the build phase. So in the integration part of it, that's where you have all of your static code. So all of those changes have been merged and pushed up to some branch. And what happens at that point is you can run something like a scanner, like Arachne, and basically it'll go through your entire code base looking for things like input fields, and it'll try to do like cross-site scripting, or it'll go through your code and look for packages that have vulnerabilities in it and it generates this report that you can give back to the developer and say hey can you fix this stuff please so the fact that it happens so early in the pipeline i think it's following this this like shift to the left um, movement where we're trying to get all of the feedback and all of the tests and things run earlier in the pipeline so that it's not like the waterfall method where let's do all the security checks at the end and delay deployment by three weeks. So it's better to just have all of that up front. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you said shift left because again, you came, you went from robotics and mechanical engineering to front-end development versus like back-end development. At what point in your front-end development career did you get interested in the pipeline itself? when I had to build one. <laughs> so that was this full stack app I was working on. And a lot of times we would just miss different parts of the deploy process, whether it was updating a variable name or maybe somebody forgot to change an API version or something like that. It was always a bunch of little stuff that was just wrong. So. I read about DevOps and I was like, hey, YAML doesn't look that bad. Sure, we can we can add something in there. And that's when I learned that it is not that easy. Like there's just so many tools and so many different options 
that you can set in your configs. It's a little overwhelming to get started with, but it's it's also one of those things you don't really get used to unless you're a DevOps engineer, because a lot of times developers have to go in and update these config files and we're just like, uh, where's the documentation, please? So getting used to that as a developer is honestly a little bit hard just because you don't see it every day. These things change, orbs update, and it just takes a long time to get used to building a pipeline that actually works, let alone one that's fast and consistent. So you went from the perspective of, okay, now I need to deploy something. Like you did all the fun stuff. Now you need to deploy it. You realized very quickly that that was not easy. <laughs> and you jumped into the delivery chain and now you're, you've kind of made DevOps and, and delivery chains and understanding it your career. And you also talked about shift left. And I realized we have this concept of full stack engineer, but when the role of full stack engineer first came out, it was predominantly focused on the fact that you could handle both front end and, and back end, but it's more than that. Now full stack in the world of shift left is you have to understand delivery chains too. And you have to understand the security of delivery chains too. It's a lot. I mean, do you think it's reasonable for a developer to be expected to know all that stuff? That's one of those. I'm not completely sure. It's like you can know all of that stuff, but you're probably not going to be the best at all of that stuff. From my experience so far, most developers who have to go into the DevOps side of stuff, they just kind of do as little as they can just because it's not their domain of expertise. It's like, we're not familiar with Kubernetes and dealing with like, I don't know, just different config files, running stuff in parallel, making sure that jobs don't block other jobs. It It's just a lot to take in when you're trying to fix front-end bugs and add new features to the back-end and probably do some kind of database management as well. So I'm not sure if it's fair to ask one person to be able to do all of that well. You can ask them to do all of it, but certain parts just aren't going to be as strong as others. I think that's fair. Uh, the There is the other benefit that it it encourages cross-team collaboration so you're not you're not just glossy-eyed in the meeting or the stand-up where somebody's talking about DevOps stuff you get it and you get the importance of it which there's a huge amount of value just just in that even if you're not the primary person responsible it's an interesting balance and I don't know if there's ever going to be a clear clear answer to that now that you're you're starting to get on in the speaking circuit or or were you already regularly speaking at events um, last year, I think I did seven conferences. Wow. So I, I think talking to some of the other speakers, they were kind of surprised how many I got my first year. I didn't know that seven was a whole lot, but yeah, seven last year. It's, and, it's a bit. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> And this year, I think I'm up to 15 so far. 
that's fantastic. Is it the same talk track that you do? Not all the time. Like they'll have some talks on JavaScript where I talk about how you can use it to read brain signals or how you can use it to make VR apps and machine learning stuff. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Should do an episode on that. (laughs) Machine learning, especially, it's a topic I really like. I don't like when it gets the fairy dust, but it's a topic that that I enjoy. Um, So do you enjoy speaking? I do. And it's kind of a weird thing because I'm typically a pretty quiet person. So I'm like the speaker at the conference that'll get up there and talk and answer questions and stick around for a little bit and then kind of scurry away because there's too many people. Well, that's what the famous people do too. <laughs> they come in and leave. <laughs> um, what do you think you like about it? I, I like that you said that and kind of where I'm prodding here is that techies tend to be, it's fairly similar. They're a lot of introverts and they have imposter syndrome. Like why, why do you think you've gravitated to speaking? Honestly, it probably goes back to academia. I did my master's in mechanical and aerospace, and there's basically this like rule of publish or perish, and that includes publishing papers and going around and speaking about it. So I figured if I could get my academic research accepted into real papers and go present about that, and have them grill me about the math behind machine learning algorithms, I can probably talk about some JavaScript stuff that I do for fun. Well, I love that. I mean, I so I wouldn't say that you have imposter syndrome, but the reason you don't have imposter syndrome is because you, you've experienced the challenges of getting stuff out there, and it's much harder than submitting a CFP at an event in the DevOps market and, and getting it accepted, which is absolutely true. I'm going to go back to what I said, though, like aerospace and mechanical engineering, <laughs> that's pretty badass. <laughs> so hopefully, I'm happy you came to the software side. I I, I, I think that's great, but hopefully it, it keeps you challenged because if you have a master's in that, that is, that is tough stuff. So yeah, besides that, you're learning languages and playing ukulele? Yeah, so me and my husband decided to learn Japanese because a few years ago we went to Japan and we knew a few words and the people were super impressed by us even trying. So he's just a big nerd into anime. So of course we're gonna learn Japanese. (laughs) And then as far as the ukulele, I spent most of last year just learning different songs and stuff and this year i'm learning the harmonica okay so it's not just ukulele you got the harmonica Mm -hmm. in there as well wow it's a lot (laughs) (laughs) it's really cool does your husband play he plays the guitar sometimes so we got a band forming which is pretty cool (laughs) he's just gonna have to write songs about robotics and and devops all right okay with that (laughs) <laughs> so I'm going to play with you the the little game that I've been playing recently um where I throw out an industry term you give me your thoughts impressions and that's it there's no right or wrong just just fun because terminology is difficult in the tech space mm-hmm. and I think it's good for people to kind of in, in 
explore what these terms really mean. We oftentimes overcomplicate them. So the first one I'm going to start with, which should relate to my next episode, but we'll see. I recently published a blog post on resilience engineering in, in software. Got some really positive feedback and got some really critical feedback. Not negative, but critical. Mm-hmm. Critical, and this relates to kind of your your um, robotics world, is resilience engineering is not new. It's It's been around for a long time, especially in, in industrial. And the concepts around it being brought into software also is not new, but it is popping up in a very new way. So you tell me what you think when I say the term resilience engineering. I guess my first thought is that it has something to do with making sure apps don't go down. The definition, the actual definition doesn't matter as much as like what, what does it mean to build something resilient? Maybe that's a better way of putting it. Ah, gotcha. So when I think of resilience engineering, I'm thinking that there are some kind of fail-safes in place if maybe a microservice is down or maybe you have a bunch of monitoring tools that alert you when something weird happens so you can go look at it. Or maybe you have some kind of service that tries to spin up apps again if they crash. Which is going to get to my next question, continuous testing. Let's see. So when I think about continuous testing, I'm thinking that at every phase in your pipeline, you run some kind of test. So maybe in the build phase, you're running unit tests and maybe... In the delivery phase, you're running integration tests or something like that. And hopefully you don't need to run tests on Pride, but maybe there's some chaos engineering going on somewhere in there too. Actually tied the two together because the the idea uh, around resilience engineering. So I don't want to say entirely new, but the new concepts or what resilience engineering has been piggybacking off of chaos engineering. So I think that that is totally, totally part of it and part of continuous testing. So I'm going to reserve the debate that's going to happen in my next episode because it may turn into a debate, but um, I think the two are very tied together and and important concepts as we talk about what we talked about before is taking your pipeline, your delivery chain seriously. So final, just to close it out, can you tell me a little bit, what are some of the things that you're most excited about in the DevOps world and application development world? Um, In DevOps specifically, even though it's kind of a lot to ask of developers, I'm really excited about the shift left movement. I can't tell you how many times I've thought some of my artifacts were good to go to production until they get to like QA and they find something just wrong. And that's all the way at the delivery phase. So we got to go back to the beginning. And now some of the unit tests are broken and the deploy was supposed to happen an hour ago. So shifting to the left is definitely something that I'm looking forward to in DevOps. And just application development in general, as much as I hate to say it, I'm looking forward to some blockchain stuff. Like, I just, I've seen some not cryptocurrency applications, and they're pretty slick. So 
I'm excited to see more of that pop up. I'm all about that. Yeah, I actually did an episode about blockchain, but even further, CNCF has a recent webinar they did on observability for blockchain applications. It's complicated, a little hard to follow, but it, it's it's good because it's conceptual. I think it's a Hyperledger um, application and it's it's really cool. Man, I have the most background noise I've ever had in <laughs> any episode that I really messed up this time by muting stuff. It's like um, if you've seen The Office, the all the, the new app around Woof or whatever they call it. Yes. <laughs> Mute button right now. Well, <laughs> thanks for joining me. I'm really excited to hear your talk. Anybody who's listening, again, if it's before October 29th, if it's after October 29th, shame on you for not being current on my podcast. But if it's before October 29th, then please join us at uh, DevSecOps Days Rocky so you can hear Malicia talk about security and the delivery chain. So thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me.